0: Turn around and tell somebody, that's what I'm talking about, and then sit down. (laughs) Oh, what a great, great song. Thank you, choir, for your ministry this morning. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, and I'm just going to tell you right now you're going to keep it open. We're, we're going to actually work our way there, but just hold on. Matthew 27 is the text that we're looking at. And today is Palm Sunday, and, and we're going into what we call Passion Week. And Friday is our Good Friday services at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. And I just want to invite you, man, bring somebody with you, bring neighbors. It's going to be a great time as through drama and through music through the partaking communion. It's, it's almost like we're going to be part of the story. And so I hope you'll be able to join us at either 5 or 7 p.m. A service on Friday. And so let me just go ahead and can i I, I got to do some work, okay? This is prep work, prep work for next week. And so I hope that you're going to be able to join us for our Easter services. But what I know is that this service is going to be very full. So a few things that I just want to just, if you can help me out ahead of time, first of all, um, don't yell at parking attendants. They love you and they are people. So they, they're gonna, we're going to try to get people in and out as quickly as possible. But it's going to be full next week. So if you could just go ahead. Like if you are regulars and you're part of the family, just plan and say I'm going to get there early and I'm grabbing the front seats. Act like you're going to a Justin Bieber concert or something. Like you're going to sit on the front row. Like those are the high price seats. So go ahead and, 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 and take the front seats and then. I know that you have the bladder problem. And that's why you sit on the end, just in case it hits. But do me a favor, scoot in. Scoot into the middle, okay? And if you guys can do that next week, I would greatly appreciate that. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do as not only we show up to worship, but man, as we invite friends and neighbors. And, and I, I hope that you'll invite people because I just just had the opportunity recently to talk to a couple. Their, their uh, friends had invited them. They would not take them up. They, they spurned for years the invitation to attend. On Easter, they said, we'll go. And they showed up on Easter, and God literally changed their lives for all eternity. And that's one of many stories. And so, man, invite your friends, your family. You can invite your enemies. Like, they'll never know what happened. Just invite them, and let's have a great time as we worship next week. Now, I would say this. If you are new to Grace and you are here, it is so, so good to have you here. And so I invite you to stop by our Next Steps wall. As you walk into the corridor, you can't miss it. And you'll get information about who we are as a church. You can sign up for dinner with a pastor. PASTORS, uh, if you've been going here a while, you might want to start, sign up for our Next Steps classes. They're going to be starting the week after Easter, but all of that be taken care of at the Next Steps wall. But uh, if you're new, we do have a, a gift for you, so, so make sure that you stop by. But you know, I just, speaking of uh, being here, Hanada, would you stand? Uh, it's good to have Hanada Dos Santos. She's one of our missionaries. For several, several years, she's been one of our missionaries. And it is so good to have you here. Can we welcome Hanada here? It's so, so good. Good to have you with us this weekend and, and she 's going to be back at our missions wall so make sure that you she has an incredible ministry that God has given her and, and uh, to, to Muslim seeking people literally in, in, uh, in the middle east and, and i 'm not going to give all the information make sure you stop by and hear what god 's been doing through her ministry. but Hinata, it is such an honor to partner with you and we pray for you support you and it 's good to have you here today. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're jumping in, and, and I, I want to ask a question here at the beginning. How many of you have ever um, had to bring an exterminator out to your house for some reason? Anybody ever had that? Like, some are like, I'm not admitting to that. Um, how, many, how many of you have ever had to put out mouse traps in your house? Okay, so we're getting somewhere. So this has been a few years ago. It's one of my favorite stories to tell about my wife. I... <laughs> She, she's not in here. Um, anyway, uh, so so a, f- a few years ago, I, we upstairs we have, it's now uh, uh, turned into a guest room, but it used to be a study, and I was, I was working up there one, one night, and out of the corner of my mind, I saw something run across r- the floor real quick and go under a bookcase. And I, I'm like, what in the world was that? And I said, hey, Lori, I said, can you bring a couple of, uh, la- I, or not a couple, I said, bring me a, one of Trey's lacrosse sticks. I said, I want to poke, I said, I think I saw a lizard. She's like, a lizard? Like, there's no way we have a lizard up here. There's no way. She goes, it's a mouse. I'm like, no, it's not. I think it's a lizard. Well, I, so, so she actually is holding on to lacrosse stick herself. Like, and she takes up her position about 20, I don't know, 15 feet behind me. And so I just get down. It's underneath. We had an open space underneath a bookshelf. And I'm just poking with that lacrosse stick. And all of a sudden, what runs out at me is not a lizard. It is a mouse. She was right. I must have seen the tail. But it literally comes right at my face sees my mug and turns the other way and it jumps up on my shoulder crawls my shoulder and runs because I turn around like it's quick runs straight at Lori (laughs) Lori's 15 feet behind me and and, and listen man Lori's never played uh, uh, she was a softball player not a basketball player Dude, she got some serious air. Like, I've never seen this. And I, ex- I'm, I, I, I am telling you the truth. I'm not making this up. She jumps, screams, and swings the other lacrosse stick at one time, hits the mouse, kills it, dead. Like, kills it. And I'm like... By the way, from that point forward, anytime she picks up that lacrosse stick, like I am, I'm sleeping one eye open, but she killed the mouse. But then Lori kills the mouse and, you know, I'm like, literally, I'm so impressed. I'm like, I have never seen anything like that. I pick up the mouse and she goes, get that out of here. You've got to do something. Call somebody. you got, man, put out mousetraps. We've got to deal with this. I'm like, well, I think you pretty much dealt with it, like. <laughs> and I promise you, that was like eight years ago. We have not had a, a mouse in the house since. Like, like in the mouse, uh, the mouse kingdom around the Treasure Valley, word is out. Stay away from the lady with the lacrosse stick. They haven't come back. But her big deal was like, like she's like, I don't want to see that at all. Deal with this. You know, we've all had situations that that maybe. That's a funny story, but maybe there have been some serious things. We're like, man, we've got to deal with this. You know, come on, parents. Have you ever had that thing where one spouse goes, you know, one parent goes to the other parent, and they're like, would you go deal with your child? Have you noticed that's always your child? you got to deal with this. Or there's a situation that's come up, and you're like, man, we've got to deal with this. Well, today, as we prepare, uh, as we walk towards the cross, and we're gonna be looking at the cross this morning as we break down. We were in Matthew 26 last week. We're in Matthew 27. We'll pick up a reading here in just a minute, uh, verse 45. I want us to kind of set the stage so we truly comprehend what the cross is all about, and I'm just gonna say this as, as we jump in. What I'm sharing this morning is, is literally, it's, it's a message that has, shared, has been shared probably millions of times since Jesus Christ died. What I'm sharing is not a, I'm not sharing new truth. This is old truth, but it's precious truth. But what I've found and and, and and sensed across the years is that even us that have been following the Lord for years, we become so accustomed to the gospel and to the message of the cross that that we begin, we, we don't do it intentionally. We just take it for granted. We, we we just, we hear the words, we we sing the songs, everything's so familiar. We even pray the prayers and we use religious language, not even thinking about religion really what we're talking about, and I, I want us to pause and, and wherever you have to be, wherever you are, or whatever you're facing, and whatever your situation, I want you to listen to this, the, the, the importance of the cross, because if, if you're taking notes, if you picked up your sermon guide on the way in on one of the little tables outside the doors, or you're on your, your phone, I just want you to write down the big point that we're going to talk about. It has everything to do with the cross. Sin is a problem that has to be dealt with. Sin's a problem that, that, that has to be dealt with. And, and it, you know, it's interesting that today, it, it, it's harder today than ever to preach a message on sin, and here's why. We've so watered down sin, and it's not a big deal in the sense that, hey, you do your life, you live your life, or the, the, the phrase, you know, you follow your truth. Well, there can't be multiple truths, or it's Like, this, that's impossible. There can only be one truth if, you know, truth is truth. But what I'm praying this morning is that God uses this message to awaken us to the problem of sin because it's a problem. And, you know, this whole thing, like, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you go back to paradise, Adam and Eve sinned for the first time very first command God said was, hey, you can eat of any tree here in the garden, just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. And, and you know, the enemy shows up, manifests himself through the serpent. Adam and Eve fall to temptation. They eat of that tree. because He's like, well, he just, you know, the, the enemy said, well, he he just doesn't want you to know what he knows and all that sort of thing. And they, they give in. and And you're like, well, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just, it's just a, just eating fruit, like what's the big deal? Honestly, that's, that's, that's our problem is we, we want it. What's the big deal? But what we know is that just started things in motion. Like there's never been a time that uh, a person outside of when Jesus Christ walked the earth, there's never been a time that a sinless person has, you know, breathed. Like we all have wrestled with this. And, and, and so while we don't like to acknowledge sin in our own lives, the reality is we all feel the effects of it. We've all, we've all seen its impact on our families. Maybe we've seen it on our own lives, uh, broken relationships or whatever, because really the sentence for, for sin, it's, it's death. And, and, and that death, yes, there's the eternal death that, that we talk about, but can I tell you that it ushers in death in so many other areas of, of life. And, and that's why sin... Is a, is a problem that has to be dealt with. But but we can't really understand sin unless we understand who God is. And, and obviously in, the, in like 30 minutes, I can't like break down and fully introduce us. But but the, the reality is when we understand who God is, we we understand a little bit more about, about the seriousness of sin. And And scripture reveals so much about God. You know, he's loving, he's gracious, he's He's uh, slow to anger, he's he's faithful, he's holy, and and then there's this important attribute that shows up time and time again, he's just. So so what does it it mean when we say that he is just? Well, in ancient Jewish uh, writings, which obviously goes all the way back to uh, the Old Testament, they... Justice was never this abstract idea. It was always intricately linked to this idea of righteousness. They, you, you, did not, uh, you did not divorce the two. The, they were always tied together. And, and righteousness simply means doing what is right. And so when we talk about, you know, God's justice, his justice is tied to to his internal righteousness, his character, which defines everything that he does. And so if I can just summarize what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about uh, God's justice, it's referring to his eternal, constant commitment to always do what is right. Okay, let me say that again to make sure that we grasp this when I talk about when I talk about God's justice, I'm referring to his eternal, constant commitment to always do what is right. So here's the deal. We've got a sin, and he had told, he, he tells Adam and Eve ahead of time, I mean, don't do this. He, it's not like he didn't spell out and articulate things. He, he said, here's what's going to happen if you do this told them what not to do like like he, he clarified everything and they sinned. And so what do we what, what, what do we do when the expectations have been clarified by someone that's in authority and we still do what what we want to do? Well, I mean, you got to face the consequences. Which which leaves if God is truly just like he can't just say, oh, boys will be boys and that, that whole attitude like, ah, it's, it's no big deal. Yeah, you're good. No, he can't do that because he's a holy God. It, it has to be dealt with. And so his justice has to be served. And so the question is, is who's going to face his, his justice? See, you see what I'm saying? Sin's a problem that, 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 that has to be dealt with. And so you know, as when, when God chose His people, we read about this in the Old Testament. Um, how, how can they be His people and they're they're messed up? Like they're messed up. Read read the old, man. Read through the Old Testament. Like some of the there's some graphic analogies used to describe their unfaithfulness. So how 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 can they atone for sin? Well, and this sounds maybe some barbaric to you if you've never been around. It's like it's so like over the top and there's a blood penalty for for sin something has to die because the wages of sin is, is death and so there's a sacrificial system that we see introduced in the Old Testament so it's, it's actually, again, the Old Testament is just a foreshadowing of what is to come. And, and so if you read through, especially like Leviticus, it breaks out all these different sacrifices for sins. You're like, dude, that is over the top. You know, even you get to the Day of Atonement where, man, there's there's one, one day out of every year where, where you know, there's, 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 there's an animal brought in that bears the sins of the people and is slain for the sins of the people. But it, it's like an HOA payment. You know what I'm saying? Like you pay it once, you're paying it again. It's, called, it's coming back around. And that's that's what happened. And so there's this whole sacrificial system to deal to deal with sin. And and so we, we, the whole point is, sin's a problem; it has to be dealt with. But yet, yeah, God is just. How, how how can He have grace and be just at at the, at the same time? And so I think it's important that we wrap our mind around how Scripture defines sin, because like if I passed around a mic and said, "Hey, give me, give me your best description of sin," this. A lot of us are going to have a, you know some different different uh, uh, descriptions, definitions. And so let's just see what Scripture uses to define this. And so there, there are three primary uh, ways that, that Scripture, even Jesus in the New Testament, describes sin. If you're writing down, write these down. First of all, sin is described as a debt to God. It's, it's a debt. Now, I want to talk primarily to people that... Um, as, I, as I'm speaking that there's an awareness that either you've been forgiven from sins or there's an awareness that you need to be, be forgiven from sins. Like if you're here and you're like, I'm just here to make mama happy. Like I'm praying that God will open your eyes, but, but I'm specifically wanting to talk to people who are getting this, okay? And, and so you've either been forgiven, which hopefully will lead you to a place of gratitude, or you need be forgiven and I'm praying this will lead you to a place of hope okay so sin is a debt okay so all of us live under the authority of God whether we want to admit that or not and so within the word authority is another word author all right you know you write a book it's your book like I don't get a sign a book that somebody else authors I don't get to change that book only the author that's that's their book And so we're under the authority of God. He has offered this. And so, again, we don't get to change some things because that that belongs to God. And so, so let me just use a little analogy. So, I went to, uh, I was on a business trip at a board meeting and I rented a car. And so, you know, I got off the plane, got to the, the place. Uh, to pick up the car, and they make you sign and check all these different things. Check, check, initial here, initial here, initial here, sign here, decline coverage here, <laughs> sign here, sign here. And so you get done, and you, know, you have all this thing that, that you've, you've signed. Now the reason they have you sign all those things is because you're acknowledging some things. Whether you read the fine print or not, you're acknowledging the car does not belong to you. You don't get to do with the car what you wanna do with the car. What, what you're saying is even when you decline the insurance, you're saying that if the car comes back and it's not in the same condition it was when you rented it, that you're gonna, you're gonna take care of it. And so, so like when, when I... When I Take my car run out. Like, you're not abusing the rental car and just saying, hey, let's just run this guy off the road. I, I, like, I don't care if I smash the car. No, you probably are actually more concerned about the rental car than you are your own car because you don't want to pay the, 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 the debt when you bring it back. So let's just say you, you bring it back, and, 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 man, there's damage. You had a wreck, and, and you declined the coverage, and, and so you owe $10,000, Okay, so ten thousand dollars—that's a debt. Um, but man, mo- most of us, like, I mean, it's a debt, and we're gonna have to set up a payment plan or whatever. But we're like, we're gonna, we're gonna pay off. Okay, we can probably pay off $10,000. But when, when you think of this, where God has given us his, his commands and, and his law, and, and yet we just keep on racking up bills. It's, it's like like I, I run up $10,000 worth of damage today, and then I'm going to do it again tomorrow, and then the next week, and and, and tomorrow. And, and, and it's one thing to pay off $10,000. It's another thing to pay off $10 billion. I mean, there, there comes a point where it's like I i can 't take care there 's no way I can repay this, and I know that all analogies break down break down somewhere but the, but the whole point is is what i 'm saying is we owe obedience to God like like in, in a very real sense he he owns us, and so there comes a place that, that i can 't pay this debt now now let me just I, Again, I'm not talking to the person who's like, yeah, I don't care. You know, just hurry up and get the service so we can go beat the Baptist to Golden Corral. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person that is sensitive about this. When I owe money, I'm the kind of person, it, I can't sleep well. Like, knowing that, that I've got this debt and I don't know how I'm going to pay bills, I stress out. Like, I feel the weight of that. Anybody else like that? You just don't like to, to owe money anybody else. You just don't like, you, you know what, you feel the stress of this, okay? So we feel the weight of, of, of owing this. Um, th- th- there's another, sin is also described as enmity with God. Um, James 4 talks about this. Uh, Romans 8, 7 ta- talks about, you know, the mind that's set on sin, it's, it's hostile to God. We're, we don't think about this, but there's something between us and God, and, and I think it's important to, to to just acknowledge, God God's not at war with us in terms of there's no enmity of Him towards us. He, when Adam and Eve sinned, did you know? You remember God still showed up to meet with them. They're the ones that ran, and so we we run because of sin. We don't want to be around. For, for instance, if if if. You have wronged somebody, and you know you've wronged them. You don't want to be around that person. If listen, I know this because it's happened to me. If 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 you rip, if if you've been ripped off, that person doesn't want to show their face around you. It, where you are, they will not be. In fact, I, I've watched a person that that ripped me off. He's starting to walk in uh, to a store, uh, to a restaurant, and sees me there, and they turn around and leave. They're like hey, you don't want to be around that person. Well, the enmity is not. From, from God towards us, he, he's never violated his covenant. There's never been a thing that he's broken, he's never broken a promise. He is faithful to us, he, he loves us, but the reality is we are hostile to God. We're the ones that violated the relationship. Now, I know that there's another, like there are times that we think that, that we should live in this paradise where God owes us. And so he should give us the relationships we want, the, the health that we want. He should give us everything. Like, can't you see the good that I've done? God's just not fair. Now, hold on a second. Man, you and I should thank God every single day that he isn't fair the way that we define fair. Seriously, like if, like if he was fair the way we decide fair, none of us are here. God doesn't owe us anything, but God in his grace gives us so much. But here's what I know is, man, when there's something between me and another person, I, I don't like that. I feel the weight of that. There, there's this, this I, I don't like just living in hatred. It does something internally. It twists us. It, it, there's, just, there's a weight there. Well, sin's not just described as a debt or just described as enmity, it's, it's, also, it's also described as a, as a crime against God. A crime against God. And so let, let, me it, let me explain it this way. So again, God. it's not like God is, is just saying, hey, be good, and he hasn't, he hasn't helped define what it means, what it looks like to live righteously. No, he has, he has given us the law. The law is not a terrible thing. The law is a good thing, the Apostle Paul wrote. What, what, it does, the, what it does, it actually just stirs up the evil that's within us. It's like when you tell a rebellious kid, don't do this, and they're like, huh, I think I'm going to do it. I never thought about doing that. Like my, <laughs> my, I think I've shared this before. My, I had a, uh, a cousin, and she and her brother were staying at home, and before they left, their parents, just being stupid, said as they left, kids, be good and don't put peas in your ears. They had never thought of putting peas in their ears. So you know what they did? The babysitter wasn't paying attention. They went to the freezer, got frozen peas and said, huh, I wonder why we're not supposed to do this. One of them had to be taken to the hospital to dig out peas in the ears. Like, like that's what the, the law just, it shows us what is right. And we're like, ah, I, I want to do this. Well, so God's clarified some things for us. And so when, when he said, here's the law and we break the law, it's, it's, it's a crime Against God. Now, okay, I'm an analogy guy. So, when this may or may not be a personal illustration. So, when I'm driving 70 and a 55, and I see the beautiful blue and red lights in my rearview mirror, I don't say, Those terrible people, they are out to get me. No, I'm like, Oh, busted. And the reason why I say I'm busted is I know that I was doing a 70 and a 55. Can I tell you one of the best things that you can do when the officer walks up to, this has nothing to do with my message. Don't, don't say, don't just try to argue and tell them your, your speedometer's off. Don't lie. Don't say that, you know, Whatever, just say, yeah, I blew it. I, it is what it is. Because really, I, 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 might be, I might not be happy about it. I might not like it. I don't like getting the ticket. But the reality is, I did the crime. And so there's a, there's a price that, that has to be paid. And so we have these, these three, three ways for us to look at this. And so we have sins of debt, God is creditor. We have, we have uh, sin as enmity, where God is the one who's been wronged. Then we have sin as, as, as a crime, where God, he's just, he's a judge. Sin has to be dealt with. And, and so that leaves us with, okay, so how are we going to deal with this? Because if God is going to be righteous and just, he has to deal with this. And this is where we, we come to the cross, you know, we have crosses on the wall. You have crosses, some of you, around your, your neck. Maybe you have a cross artwork or whatever in, in your home. What, what is the deal with the cross? Again, I'm not going to share anything new, but I, I want to share this in a, in a fresh way. See, Isaiah 53, the prophet, long before the cross, as as God is speaking through his prophet, giving us an idea that the cross, the the necessity for the cross, he writes in in chapter 53, verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, not, not some of us, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord, here's a new player, the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all. So let's just pause. The hymn part, there's a, there's a third player in this, this drama. It's, it's so, so and, and like I'm not gonna get in the whole, you know, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, three persons. But there is the person of God the Father. There's us as the sinner. Sin's a problem, it has to be dealt with. And then we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the person of, of Jesus Christ. There are three actors, if you will, in this, in this drama. And, and what we've got to understand is Jesus said in John 3, he was sent by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what we're talking about right here. This debt, this enmity, this crime. He said, I came to seek and save the lost in Luke 19.10. He says in Mark 10, 45, that that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for for the many. This is why Jesus showed up. And and so, what what we looked at last week, you know, in Matthew 26, now we're going to Matthew 27, we've got the the, the final supper. It's foreshadowing who Christ was. And he said, from now on, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he's telling them this. They don't know for sure what it's all going to look like. He knows what it's going to look like. They leave, they sing a hymn, they go to the garden. In the garden, he prays this prayer, Lord, Lord. Lord, let this cup pass from me. What cup? Well, the cup of what's getting ready to happen. The cross and what all is going to be entailed there. But he said, not my will, but yours. Be done. We know there's the arrest. There's the trial. There's the the scoffing. He's arrested, abandoned, mocked, beaten, sentenced, and sent staggering up to a cross, carrying the beam that he's going to be nailed to, to Calvary. And I want us to put ourselves in the story. We're there. It's, we're, we're on, we're on this, this place called Golgotha, and and they've already you can hear the noise. It's nine in the morning. It's the third hour as 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 he gets there. And they've they've set they they would have these stakes uh, because you know they did. This is a place where they crucified. They'd have these stakes pointing up to the sky, and and then these guys would show up carrying the beam that they're going to be crucified on. And they would they would put the beam to attach the beam to the stake, and and then they would nail the the criminals to this cross, and they're hanging there. And so we're there from from th- nine in the morning. To, to noon, and, and we're just watching, we're hearing the sounds, we're we're smelling the smells, we're we're seeing the sights, and it's overwhelming. And, and, and like everybody's like, Man, weren't just people with him? And it's like everybody's gone. Except there's one guy, and there's there's a bunch of women that are that are there, and everybody else, man, they're making fun of him, calling out, and all this sort of thing. About the sixth hour, and this is where we pick up our reading in, in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, this is at noon, the Jewish, the way they mark time. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. So for three hours it had been dark. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the way, when it says he cried out, he didn't say it as quietly as I just did. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, the great prophet. Ellie was used as a, it was kind of a a nickname that was short in his name. They think he's calling for Elijah, and so one of them ran at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah's going to come to save him. They're looking for a spectacle. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. When he did this, there were some significant things that happened. First of all, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Very important. And, and by the way, you know, religion up to this point, was the Jewish religion was very exclusive. If you were a Gentile, you could, you could, get, you could go to the Gentile court, you couldn't go any further. If you were a, a, a Jewish uh, lady, you could, you could go here, but there was a place that only Jewish men could go. Jewish men could only go so far. In fact, the the, the priest could only go so far. And then there was one place that only one guy, the high priest, could go just just once a year. It was divided by this massive, huge, thick curtain. And it wasn't rent from, it wasn't a, a person that did this. This wasn't an act of anarchy. It literally was the hand of God Himself. The curtain was was just pulled symbolically saying, there are there is no exclusion now. It says the rocks are split. We don't talk enough about verse 52. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Hello. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. But check this out. When the centurion and those who were with him, this guy has witnessed probably dozens if not hundreds of crucifixions. This Roman centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And what I want to do just as we as we bring this message to a close is I want to look at three cries at the cross. There are three exclamations that are recorded here in scripture. The first one is when when, when Jesus Christ with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the way, when that that Greek word that that is uh, that from which we have the two English words, loud voice, that's only used one time in the New Testament, right here. And it literally means scream. So we're we're talking about not just just loudly, you know, de- raising raise decibel level. It's 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 this internal just from the very depths my god my god why have you forsaken me and and obviously i like this we can't do it justice in here he's so... Screaming and what he's doing when he when he says this, he's quoting Psalm 22. And 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 like if you if you want to do some reading this week, write down Psalm 22 because it's actually hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. It it talks about the crucifixion of Jesus in crazy detail before even the art, if you will, of crucifixion is invented. It actually talks about this, and in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's talking about is not the physical pain. It's this sense of, of utter spiritual separation from the Father. Literally, he's, he's feeling this sense of what it means to be eternally lost without God. Because when we think of hell, maybe for us it's this fear-based thing that has everything to do with fire or whatever the other descriptions are in, in, in scripture, but what makes hell, hell is not fire, is not darkness, it's the absolute separation from God. That's what ultimately makes hell, hell. See, Psalm 22 is talking about what Jesus is going to suffer, but it ends with, and I'm going to take bits and pieces of the verses. You can see this as you read this week. The psalmist says, future generations, because of what's going to happen, will be told this, for he, speaking of God the Father, for he has not despised the suffering of his afflicted one. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Future generations will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. What's he done? He's done what he came here to do. And when he shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying that even though, it's, he already knew this when he said, not, not my will be yours be done. Take this cup from me, but, but your will be done. I'm gonna do what I came to do. And God, even though he damns me, I'm sticking with the plan. I'm holding to his word, though for the sake of us. He's condemned and cast out. I'm holding on because there's something that God is doing and he's becoming the only one that can allow God to be both just and gracious. But then he cries out again in verse 50 and while it doesn't tell us in Matthew 27 what he cries out, John 19 30 does, his final cry on the cross is, It is finished. What was finished? His salvation work. And guys, this is where, for every person, the stress is because of the death toad, the stress is because of the enmity that exists, or stress is because of your fear of the crime that's been committed. I want you to listen to me. This is his saving work. For every Christian who knows what I'm talking about, listen to these words and weep yet rejoice because he did it for you. You see, what he did is he speaks to every single one of these things because there are three distinctive ways the scripture reveals what Christ came to do. First of all, he came to be our surety. Now that's a word that's not used a lot. It's an economic term. It has everything to do with debt. And, and, and maybe a, an analogy I could use is this. When I was 15, I was buying a car. I had a job uh, delivering newspapers and all this sort of thing. I saved up a lot of money for a down payment and all that sort of thing. But I had no credit history, nothing. And, and I, I was going to have to buy a loan. I mean, I was going to have to buy a car. I was going to take a loan. And, and when I went to purchase the car, um, my dad co-signed with me. Now, he did tell me, that, I'm never doing this again. I'm doing it one time. But what he was doing was when he co-signed, he was saying, I'm good for the payment. Regardless of what takes place here, I'm good for the payment. And when Jesus hung on the cross for us, literally, he became our surety. He said, I'm good for the payment. You owe a debt... I just paid. It's not just the, the, this word surety. The, the other word that, that, I, that, I want us to, that I want you to write down is this, Jesus became our mediator. And what, what I mean by this, a mediator, and I've done this, you've probably, some of you have done this. You try to bring two people together and, and, and there's, there's something that, that has to be resolved and, and we want to make peace. We bring, we bring the, the, the two parties together. There, there is enmity here. How do we bring peace? You have to be reconciled. And and Paul in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Christ became the only one that can bring reconciliation where not only could we know that our debt is paid, but that literally we are reconciled. We're not not just fully forgiven. We are fully reconciled. We're at peace with God. Jesus became our mediator. But the last word that I want you to write down as we come to a close is this. Jesus became our substitute. And, 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 you know, this this whole thing, sin is a problem that has to be dealt with. Like, if God is is a just God, it's tied to righteousness, he has to do the right thing. He can't say, because he's faithful to his word, he can't say that the wages of sin is death and and you're okay, I'm gonna let you go. It's it's death for everybody else, not you, because I like you better than I like that guy. It can't be that way, that's not how he is. Like, he, he is consistent. So Jesus became our substitute, which means he took our place. Several years ago, a couple that's become dear friends of mine, I started attending here, and they came from a very legalistic, works-based religious system. And I was sharing one day, I said, you know, we, we don't have to do enough good things to try to get God's attention so he'll forgive us. If you're doing that, stop Man, it's it's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what makes a difference. And and as I shared that that morning, man, the husband, he man, his eyes lit up. He got it, and and he responded to the invitation and that morning. Man, his life was transformed. But she she wasn't convinced. In fact, as he was he was starting to grow in his faith and he's digging in. She had so many questions. She finally she finally emailed. And she said, Pastor, can we just sit down? I I don't understand this. It makes no sense to me. And so. One one night she came over to her house and Lori and I met with her for about an hour and a half, two hours, whatever, and we we broke this down and she's like, it just doesn't make sense. Why the cross? And so I literally I, I had more time, but I, I did kind of what I've done this morning. We just did a deep dive: what is sin, man? Who is God, and all of this sort of thing. But we got to finally like she's she just is like it does it makes no sense to me, and 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 so I, I remembered this. Uh, this, this passage out of first john and first john chapter 2 John writes "said I'm writing these things to you specifically man you can walk in the light you can be reconciled to God Um, we can be if we confess our sins he's faithful and just forgive us our sins he said I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if any of you does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ and I explained to her this whole idea of advocacy but then I kept reading and I said because it says in verse two he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world And, and I'm like, I'll guarantee you, like, this is a word that everybody skips over. You come to propitiation and you're like, big word. Don't know what it means. Keep reading. Like, like, we'll figure it out. We just, but we never like break that down, but it is a amazing, cool, awesome, powerful word. What is the, what does the prefix pro mean? I'm for you. I'm for you. And this whole idea of propitiation means that, that Jesus was for us. When it says that he's our advocate, it means that he is for us. He hung on the cross because he's for us. He, in propitiation, literally means that he took the wrath of God meant for us. And so he took what was intended for us, he did it for us. And and the reality is, so that we could be reconciled to God, he became our substitute. And and literally, when I I broke the down, I don't know what it was about that, but the lights went on and she was like, oh, you mean Jesus became my whipping boy. And I'm like, never heard it described that way, but yes, that's exactly what take place. And man, her eyes filled with tears, and she goes, why would he do this for me? And I'm like, there's the beautiful answer to this all, because he's for you. He loves you, for God so loved the world, and not in a general sense, he loved you. For every person that, that owes a debt they cannot pay, for every person that is, that is at, at war and you're running and, and you're scared and all of this, for those of you that, that, that have, have committed the crimes, man, that's, that's, he did it for you. So when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took that for you. When he said it is finished, he did that for you. And you're like, well, I thought you said there were three cries at the cross. There were. The third one wasn't Jesus, it was a centurion The guy who got it, when his eyes were open, when he saw what he saw and he'd heard what he heard, he said, truly, this is the son of God. And here's the thing for us to fully appreciate and receive that salvation that's been given to us on the cross. We have to begin there. Truly, he is the son of God. And today, before you leave, I know that everybody wants to get out of the parking lot I get it, get it, get it. But today, if you're feeling the weight of a debt you cannot pay, if you're feeling the weight of, of being at enmity with God, if you're feeling the, the fear that comes from wondering when God's going to, you're, you're afraid that his justice is going to catch up with you, I want you to look to the cross. And as long as it takes, we have a team. We will stand here. We will pray with you. We want you to know that today you can walk out of here being reconciled because Jesus took our place. Why the cross? Uh, sin was a problem. It had to be dealt with, and he dealt with it once and for all for you. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of this season. It's hor- horrible in one, on one hand when we, when we read of this, but it's what was absolutely necessary for us to receive freedom. And so, God, I'm praying that today as we leave that we would understand that what Christ did on the cross, he did for us. And, dear God, I'm praying that salvation would be the reality of someone that walked in here feeling the weight of a debt they could not pay, the weight of enmity with God, or the fear because of the crime they had committed. Dear God, I pray that salvation would take place, that they would repent, that they would understand that Christ did that for them. So, God, as we go into this week, may every son and daughter of yours celebrate the fact that we have this great confidence that is that is anchored in the fact that Jesus Christ is our savior, our substitute, our surety, our mediator. And Father, for what you're going to do, even as we come back on Friday and and we remember the the, the Good Friday service and Easter, God, may this be a time of appreciation and yes, celebration as we remember what you have done so that we could be forgiven. So for what you're going to continue to do, we thank you and we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You're dismissed. See you on Friday.